The coronavirus is creating chaos around the globe, which could destabilize the U.S. economy in the months to come. That is a devastating risk if you are heavy in stocks with no safeguard. Wise investors know to hedge against stock market collapse by investing in gold and precious metals. Noble Gold can help you protect your retirement with gold and silver IRAs. Whether you're a new collector of rare coins or a seasoned investor looking to diversify your portfolio, Noble Gold can help. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com to learn more. That's Noble Gold Investments. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Everybody and welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Season 11 recap here on Reality TV Rehab Ups. My name is Mike Bloom in your podcast patrol car, ready to survey the scene of this most recent episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Let me invite in this week's partner in crime, Liana Boris. Liana, how are you? Well, I have my face keeny on. I know you can't see me, but I do, and I am ready to go. Now, Liana, how much did you do underneath your face keeny? Oh, just a lip. Just a 10-minute mug. 10-minute <laughs> mug. That should be the newest product on the RobHasAWebsite.com store. Because he, oh he's, he's done well with the mugs. I feel like we need, like, a 10-minute mug. And it's got, like, a picture of Silky's face on it. That's what Silky should do. <laughs> and then, But, like, her smushed face, because the <laughs> uh, face kini was far too small for her head. Uh, that was a great moment in Untucked. Like, a, a total... Amazing race s thing where before the commercial break they say Silky what's wrong and it looks like she's pissed off and when it comes back from the commercial break it's only because her face is smushed from the face kini that she looks pissed off otherwise she's just sort of spaced out yeah exactly she was just chilling sitting there because her face was like pulled back because you know it's like that very drastic plastic surgery where you look super intense because like everything is pulled back it was like that but in face kini form yeah who knew face kinis could cause uh, RBF. <laughs> that's right yeah that's uh you know if you just have your own resting bitch face just throw face keeny on <laughs> so it, you have not obviously heard our usual third voice on this podcast the one and only brent wolgamont brent unfortunately due to other commitments cannot be here this week he has definitely sent his thoughts along in pre-recorded form so i will be sure to play them as we go through this episode i know that in a couple of other podcasts we had also mentioned having Haley strong on in his stead unfortunately due to a last minute scheduling conflict on that end as well Haley cannot join us so it's just liana and i today but actually i think it's appropriate given how much of this challenge was all about partnerships and working off of one another, including Fortune Feimster and Cheyenne Jackson working on the LADP scene. I feel it's only appropriate. Now, who is whom? Like, are you Fortune? Am I Cheyenne? Are you Cheyenne? Am I Fortune? Honestly, I would be honored to be either one of them. It's a really interesting partnership. I guess it comes down to 
I guess Cheyenne was what? The newbie and Fortune was mm. the dreamster. So I guess whichever one of us is more of the dreamster would get that title. Yeah, I think I'm more the rookie and I think you're more the dreamster, which I don't know what that means. But I don't know, Mike, that could apply to you. And listen, I'm always game for eating chicken out of someone's butt. So I guess I'll, I'll take that title with pride. Okay, then I think that's a good fit, uh, because I would love to be compared to Cheyenne Jackson. He's so handsome. Well, let's talk about not even this episode, but Liana, we missed you last week in more ways than one. I think Amon did a fantastic job filling in for you, but we missed out on your thoughts on not only the episode, but I would say more over the lip sync. We spoke last week about how this was one of those rare episodes where the lip sync just really overshadowed everything going on around it. So before we get into episode nine, let's keep one foot in episode eight. Do you have any overall thoughts or leftover thoughts you want to give about what happened last episode, considering how things fall out in this episode? Well, first of all, um, Amon did a wonderful job. It was really nice to hear the three of you talk about everything. Snatch game, awkward, to the amazing lip sync that we got to see at the end of last week's episode. I tuned in to VH1 early so that I could watch the end of that because they play the last week's episode Mm -hmm. before the new episode. So I was like, Mom, Mom, I have to tune in early because I need to watch this again. I had to watch Brooklyn Heights Runway because, oh my gosh, gaggerific. I loved it. And then to watch just two juggernauts of the competition so far and also lip sync assassins go up against each other was so iconic. I mean, this for me is up in probably the top five lip syncs that we've seen on the show just to see two different but yet complementary styles of lip sync. I mean, because they were both acrobatic and both very physically intense, but they were both lip syncing the whole time. And it was just amazing to watch and definitely deserve it of a double stay, double save. And especially considering how they both did this episode, which varied from serviceable to outstanding. I think they've both made good on their second chances. You know, this is not a, when Eureka going home for surgery made Cynthia Lee Fontaine and Pheromone both stay, considering they were the next two to go anyway. This really felt like deserved, and also both of them are going to work their asses off knowing that, yes, they do have a second chance, and they're going to make good on it. Yeah, 100%. And it was, uh, you know, to see Brooklyn talk a lot about, oh, you know, I don't want to, uh, I, I want to do a good job. I know the acting's on my thing, but I really need to do well. And then uh, in the same time, like Evie was like, uh, like the snatch game went about as bad as it could have. <laughs> and I know that I need to make up for it. And I think it was in an untucked when Evie was said like, yeah, I'm not okay with the mediocrity, but at least I showed that I was able to come from the complete bottom, at least to safe. And I think that there are two people who really struggle in the snatch game, but I mean, I, I still think they're going to be final four. Well, that's the thing. I want to start by talking about this interesting confessional from sugar cane the resident historian of RuPaul's Drag Race season mm-hmm. 11, apparently. So she brings up in confessional, everybody except Tyra Sanchez and Trixie Mattel placed in the top during their respective season snatch game. And so she uses that as fodder to say, it really must be everybody's game. But I have a theory, and I actually uh, posted this on Twitter in response to something that I believe Matt Logori and Gabby Pascuzzi were talking about. And it really, I really feel like this confessional is the smoking gun, and I'd love to get your opinion on it, Liana. I feel like we are getting a Brooke or Evie win here, 
And my tinfoil hat theory is, remember that season 11 filmed before All-Stars 4. They both did so poorly in the season 11 Snatch Game that when they won the show, the producers took a look at the Snatch Game and said, okay, maybe we need to revise this if even our frontrunners aren't doing so well. Hence why we got the Snatch Game of Love during All-Stars 4. Basically, the frontrunners failing in this format of the Snatch Game prompted them to change the format. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm trying to decide if that's crazier than Bibi Zara Benet being the mole or not, <laughs> um, because I feel like it, that's sort of in that territory, although I could believe it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, maybe that's why, yeah, they had to change it up. Um, I think, though, in terms of the smoking gun comment i can definitely see sugar setting up like oh maybe we are gonna get a winner who didn't do well in the snatch game like this is to throw us off the course because i guess the other person then would be silky who i guess <clears throat> would be uh you know the potential winner but she's had such a weird edit that like i can't I, I don't know what the show is trying to tell me about Silky. Mm -hmm. So then it goes back to Brooke and Evie, who I think are being edited in the most positive light. And so I would think one of them is going to win. Um, so I, I think, I mean, really, it was just a failure of performance of the two of them. Like, I don't think it honestly had really anything to do with the format. Um, Cause I think you could even say like the snatch game of love, the way that they did it. Um, like, yeah, it was more intimate. I think you guys talked about this, uh, but like fundamentally it's the same skill set, right? It's like embodying a person and then being able to, th you know, make jokes off the cuff. So hmm. really it doesn't like necessarily change the format all that much. So if they really want to try to say, Oh, the front runners aren't doing a great job. Let me change this in a way to like highlight their talent. Then doing something that is pretty similar just doesn't like, doesn't really seem to address that. I guess. Speaking of silky, yet another interesting edited episode for her. I would say a bit of a come down episode for her, despite the fact that she does end up in the top again for the second week in a row. And it starts here where Sugar goes around and talks about, hey, we're getting into the top eight here more than halfway through the season. What are you going to try to improve given the judges critiques? And Silky gives a big old nothing. And her tune, I think, is going to change, especially by Untucked. But did you make anything in the very beginning here? of, I guess, the, the oppositions of Silky and Sugar. They're going to be paired together in a bit, but the fact that the two of them represent polar opposites of being so sure about yourself and your aesthetic that you don't really are, you're not really going to listen to what the judges are going to say versus someone who is taking notes about each and everything the judges say about them so they can sort of uh, put themselves in the best spot, even if they're not necessarily putting out you know, blockbuster performances. So I know that Sugar was the one who was sort of the mouthpiece for that idea. But for me, the person who really exemplifies that is Nina West. Agreed. And I'm sure we'll get into it with the whole her runway this week. Oh, my God. Um, but so, yeah, so this whole juxtaposition between, oh, I'm really confident in my aesthetic. And since since I've been doing well, I'm just going to keep doing me and then I'll continue to do well versus, oh, OK, I'm really going to take in the critiques from the judges and then incorporate them to do better in the competition the first person that really pops into my head is um actually um 
Bianca Del Rio because I like she was somebody who was really confident but also took the judges critiques into account like the white eyeliner that she mm. normally does when she got that critique from Michelle she was like okay I'm not doing it and she even said in I I don't remember if it was untucked or whatever to one of the other girls it was like look the judges told me to do it and I'm gonna take it out when I'm on this show because that's what they want but she was like when I go back home I'm gonna do my white eyeliner because I like it and so she seems to be like the perfect balance between being comfortable in your aesthetic and then being able to take in the judges critique so I think like that's the balance you really want to strike but for this Silky I was just like oh god girl and I think it was you who even said you were get, like getting bored by her mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of I felt the same way and then to hear her say oh I'm not going to change anything up was like uh, but please change something up because then I might be more invested in you well let's get to the next day here and a Nicely attempted floss from Nina West yes. doing her best Fortnite realness will bring us into <laughs> the reading challenge. Now, first, before we get into our individual opinions, let's bring in our first pre-recorded thoughts from the one and only Brent <laughs> Wolgamot. Because I think it sets up nicely, um, maybe, and again, not to project too much, but I think our overall thoughts on how this reading challenge ended up going. Hi, everybody, and this is Britt Wagamot. I am off this week because they are working me to the freaking bone at the goddamn casino. It's a part-time job, and yet somehow I am scheduled five days in a row this week. I cannot believe it, and I'm missing this episode of RuPaul's Drag Race because of it. Most of all, I am pissed about missing the Reading Challenge episode because, honestly... I'm thinking we could do some better reads than whatever these queens gave us. So, it's the reading challenge. And I just want to say, I, I don't know if you guys agree with me, worst reading challenge ever. Ever in the, in the history of Drag Race, which 11 seasons and 4 seasons of All-Stars, worst reading challenge ever. Nina West, who I had so much faith in, like is literally having to explain her jokes. Brooklyn wins, and deservedly so. So she had material that was pre-planned, and she was ready to go. She had done her homework. I was so happy with her. Her precious joke had me absolutely rolling. But I do have a bone to pick with her because she got to divide up the teams, and I am so freaking bitter that she did not pair up Silky and Evie. Like, what a missed opportunity. I was in mourning when this didn't happen. I was like, how did production not pull her aside and say, look, could you do us a solid? <laughs> like, All right. So before we get into, <laughs> let's sort of parse out the reading challenge itself from uh, the agreement or disagreement with the way that Brooklyn paired things off. Ultimately, Liana, are you in agreement with Brent? Is this the worst reading challenge we have seen in RuPaul's Drag Race history? Well, it's hard for me to say that definitively without going back and listening to all the reading challenges in the past, but this was pretty bad. So uh, in lieu of doing any homework because I'm lazy, uh, yes, I'm going to say I agree with Brent. This was like the worst reading challenge, at least one of the worst. Like I'm trying to think because Brooklyn honestly probably would have fallen in the middle of like a traditional reading challenge. Like mm -hmm. I thought her precious joke was pretty funny or maybe like towards the top. 
but I thought that her reads were relatively generic like the vacant space between your ears to plastique joke was funny but it also wasn't anything super creative um, Precious Joke was funny although and the Vanjie one I guess was also funny so yeah maybe she did deserve to win um, but Silky was horrible uh, Vanjie just stated comments um, uh, it was pretty bad yeah, this was super interesting. I would say that if you're looking for the Laganja Estranja calling Bianca Del Rio, Bianca Taco Del Trio level of like, so bad it's good, <laughs> you could see some of it here. I was so surprised at how both Silky and Nina, who killed it, the latter especially in the Snatch Game last episode, were in my opinion probably the two worst people in the reading challenge. I don't know what happened with Nina West here, but, you know, I admire her effort trying to explain the jokes that she's doing. Uh, these also were a bit of like, I don't know, they were very wholesome. I don't think they were as cutting as I think that they want the reading challenge to be. And I think she did not benefit from going first as well and just really, for lack of a better term, bombing. But, whew, silky. I mean, first off, I'm just going to call her out for saying a straight up racist read. Oh, yeah. A plastic tiara. Oh, that sure. was awful. Not even funny whatsoever. The shrieking was just terrible. Her read of RuPaul of we'll be all be working, waiting for you at the door. And then you walk in and say, hello, hello, hello. What? <laughs> Is that a read? Like, I, I don't what? know. Like, I know maybe she was trying to go off of a carrier who I thought actually did a pretty good job. You know, she tried to do the rhyming thing and she had a couple of good reads there, but like, I don't understand why she started off with that. Uh, I thought the footnote thing was cute. I thought it was like a nice little, I mean, listen, I'm not going to disparage any puns. So I appreciate that was probably the strongest thing. The rest of it was just a complete mess. And I think to the point that you made earlier, maybe it's just her leaning on her confidence of like, I'm just going to act like me and people are going to love it and lap it up. Certainly RuPaul would, but su surprisingly for as much as RuPaul has been loving Silky's personality this entire season, RuPaul did not seem particularly happy with Silky's performance here in the reading challenge. I love watching Rue's face as the queens are telling the jokes. Like, that's what I look for, especially on the rewatch, because Rue's face, when Silky was, like, doing her thing, because especially, you know, first, okay, like, she's going to try to read Rue. Like, that's happened, I think, like, one or two times in the past. Usually, they finish with reading, they finish with reading right. RuPaul. It's odd to start off, though I guess she wanted to finish by reading herself, but the, yet again, another poem where she just, grinds up on Vanjie. And as Vanjie says, that's not a read. You're just threatening us. Yeah, exactly. You're threatening me in haiku form. These are not reads. Um, yeah. I, anyway, so Rue's face was like clearly not having it. She does this thing where she's kind of like, Ugh. like it wasn't as um, apparent as Nina West's uh, cringe face, which was me when I was watching this go down. Um, but honestly, the silky read the go like go back to the country. Where, what was it like? Something about like she called her Japanese. Also, it was like she's Vietnamese. Yeah, she said she said plastic we're all surprised you're still here boo boo but for us all i think your elimination come in hayaku hayaku and she said it's some sort of korean japanese and plastic's like i'm not even japanese it's just <laughs> it was really not a good look and i i know maybe i'm drilling too much into like a 15 second joke but from all the stuff that has been all the allegations that have been said about silky especially in the beginning of the season for what she does off camera this is just 
a drop in the bucket, in my opinion. And it's one of the reasons why I am not a fan of hers, personally. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. And uh, she's just... Like, I tweeted... Yeah, okay. I tweeted something about this that was like the RuPaul or the um, the judges on Drag Race, like walking around Nina West's talent to overhype Silky. And so it's just... It was nice, though, to hear Ru like telling her to bring the volume down. And then I liked Brooke's line about, oh, and make it funny. Yeah. So it was nice to get a little bit of pushback. One thing I will give this reading challenge kudos for, which Ru sort of brought up, is that it at least brought a different dynamic where this really did seem a bit of like everyone riffing off each other rather than mm-hmm. just sort of a presentational format when you have even from the beginning nina says akira the resting bitch face of the group are you sure you just haven't been resting and akira responds <laughs> on your talent mm-hmm. I, and i think even rupaul with one thing of uh you know when she does that botch sugar joke and he was like oh do you want me to review them I think that the the talkbacks were probably the better part of this reading challenge in entirety. That was honestly where Vanjie shone, because to your point, she wasn't necessarily saying jokes. I think she was just saying funny things about the queens and her usual Vanjie demeanor, but it was not necessarily structured like a typical read. Yeah, right. Exactly. It was like, what is what is Vanjie doing? <laughs> but it was Vanjie being Vanjie and just making these comments. Um, I did like the line that Plastique had uh, to Nina that was like the Miami Dolphins called. They want their shoulders back. <laughs> that one made me laugh. And I'm going to say uh, Evie might have been second to Brooke for me. I thought she had a couple of good reads with Plastique. Thank God you named yourself for your beauty instead of your personality. Plastique bag doesn't have as good of a ring to it. But I think I liked most. Uh, Akira, I'm actually really excited to hit the road with you. It's not until I saw that ass that I understood the meaning of a drug mule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And then Akira had the one that was, I don't know what flops more, your body or your shoes to Silky or something along those lines. I thought that was pretty funny, too. Yeah. Okay, maybe this wasn't the worst, but it was cringy for sure. Well, I don't think there was anything that really like stood out as like a hit the floor. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Read. I think that it is interesting to see the flip flop of Nina and Silky with Brooke and Evie between their performances mm-hmm. in the Snatch Game and their performances in the Reading Challenge. I think it just proves that Comedy is not just an umbrella term. There are different ways to be funny. And these those two definitely feel like they were the most well-prepared as opposed to someone like Vanjie, who sort of seemed like the kid on the bus who was writing their book report at the last minute before first <laughs> period. I will point out from what I saw, apparently that precious joke, somebody said that Mimi I'm First said a very similar thing about uh, Latrice Royale during a roast tour back in the day. But like, and I'll say this about another joke that Brooklyn says as well. You know, yes, if, if it's not exactly original humor, but I mean, the judges aren't exactly doing their research in the moment. If they enjoyed it in the moment and she's able to get away with it, I guess good for her. It's not great from an audience perspective, but it, it at least endears herself to the judges that she's able to present a nicely polished joke, even if it's not exactly hers. Well, and that's the name of the game, right? Like, you have to impress the judges. You're, yeah, okay, you can talk about, oh, well, the audience votes at the end a little bit, maybe for the winner. But no, like, this is RuPaul's decision. So if you can make RuPaul laugh, that's what you got to do. So let's get into this maxi challenge. They are improvising a scene from LADP, Los Angeles Drag Patrol. But before we get into the pairings here... Liana, can we do a quick power ranking? So far, four seasons in a row, we have four improv challenges. We have The Bitchler, we have Bossy Rossi, we have Jersey Justice, and now we have LADP. Based on how they turned out, can you power rank for me how each of these ended up turning out from best to worst overall? Oh, man, I feel like there's definitely going to be some recency bias. So I actually thought that this was probably the 
best. Mm. I thought that this was because I thought this was really funny to have Fortune and Cheyenne there as well. So maybe it was because they also were interjecting with their own jokes. And so I I just thought that I loved Nina and Brooks and Akira and Evie's I thought were so good for me that it maybe overshadows some of the cringe of like Plastique and Vanjie. Um, so I don't know. I might put that one first. Interesting. See, I would probably do I probably put this one third. I think both the All-Stars ones are mm-hmm. very solid across the board. Like, I remember us saying, particularly with Jersey Justice, that Latrice was obviously the worst. Monet ended up being in the bottom just by process of elimination because everyone else did at least a pretty good job. Can't necessarily say that about that here, but I would say, I guess if I could rank them, The Bitchler might be first because I still think there were some really fun moments there on all ends if you want to include Milk just completely milking the scene. Uh, not to be confused with the milk that gets spilled all over the ground soon to come. Then maybe Jersey just a second. Then this, I do agree it was solid overall. And even again, if you're going for that train wreck value, you have the plastic and banjee stuff. And fourth is probably bossy Rossi. I honestly don't remember anything outside of Miss Cracker being a pickle and Eureka, you know, walking out yeah. with no shirt on as a baby and like throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I remember from Bossy Rossi also <laughs> is the baby thing. And yeah, the uh, over analytical like therapist pickle that was Ms. Cracker. Um, so I think I would probably put Jersey Justice second and then the Bitchler third. I think for me, the milk cringe factor outweighed some of the other cringe um, in some of these other challenges. Although, yeah, the Jersey Justice one might actually might be first for me. I got to think about it, but definitely Bossy Rossi is down at the end. <laughs> but I will say, I think overall, I'm really glad. And maybe I'm speaking from a biased perspective because, you know, I, I have been so heavily involved in the improv scene in the past that they're bringing this element in. I think it's a new way to do a comedy challenge outside of putting another shitty script in front of them and saying, act this out. It really allows them to sort of speak on their instincts. And there's a propensity to create either really good or really bad material from that. And I think this is another indication of it. So I say drag rates, keep doing it because you can bring up so many different scenarios. You don't need to write anything. Just have the Queens, you know, do whatever they want to do. And you're going to create great TV out of that one way or the other. Well, and I think something that a lot of drag queens are good at is, you know, when they're hosting a show, they're responding back to the audience or they're mm-hmm. doing essentially improv, although in a slightly different forum. Uh, and so that's a skill that they're actually working on. So if you think about, oh, being a good drag queen does not necessarily equate being a good drag race contestant. Um, this is something that I think sort of starts to bridge between the two and really test those sorts of skills. So I'm I'm all here and I loved this. So like I'm all here for more improv challenges. So as Brent spoke about in winning the reading challenge, Brooke gets to create the pairs here. She picks Nina, which gets a little bit of side eye from Vanjie. She pairs uh, Akiria with Evie. Uh, she pairs Vanjie and Plastique and she pairs Silky with Sugar. Liana, do you agree with Brent about how she should have created the best TV and put Silky and Evie together? That would have been so fun to see. I think that probably Brooke was thinking like, oh, but if they do put their differences aside, they could be really good together. Because it seemed she talked about like, oh, I want to split up the girls that are like, you know, I, well, I don't know. Maybe this is what Evie said, but like, you don't want to put two of the sort of like stronger girls together. So then I was trying to think, I was like, okay, who does she think is strong? So is it Plastique, Evie, and Silky? Because 
I don't know. I mean, people are maybe sleeping on Akira too, because I think Akira has really done a great job, and obviously she was able to do it here. So I don't know. I wasn't quite sure about the pairing, although the plastic Vanjie one was that. Like I knew from the get go, I was like, oh, this is going to be a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Evie came out and said, oh, she, from her perspective, she thinks, okay, I'm going to split up the threats so that you know you don't put two of them together and possibly overwhelm my chances of winning this challenge. Brooke explained it to Rue later on that she wanted to pair up someone with quote-unquote a bigger personality with someone who didn't. So I don't know if it was shade mm. towards Akira and not being a threat. I think it was shade towards Akira of not necessarily popping as a personality, which I disagree with completely. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't... Yeah, it's weird, though, because I think Akira has shown a lot of personality in Untucked and stuff, so clearly Brooke is seeing that, so yeah. Or maybe Maybe this was a situation where it was like, uh, well, then I guess Vanjie would have been the bigger personality on the uh-huh. Vanjie Plastique team. Um, yeah, okay. Well, then those were interesting choices. I don't necessarily get them. I think the Silky Evie one, though, for TV, I agree with Brent. That would have been pretty fun to watch. Though, to be fair, in Untucked, it seemed like they were pretty okay. Like, Evie mm-hmm. was asking Silky about her family. They were sitting on the same couch. I, I We didn't really see any, you know, follow-up from Silky being steamed that Evie got to stay and that, you know, the bitch who called me talentless didn't go home. Maybe that just they just wanted to create, a, like, a one-off episode about it last week, but from what I'm perceiving, I guess I don't know if it's water under the bridge or, like, a stalemate at this point, but to your point, maybe with that attitude, they would have just said, okay, bygones be bygones, let's put that aside. Sort of like what they did during the Drag Olympics challenge of we can both work together and then hate each other afterwards. Yeah, and with some of those confessionals, it also can be hard to know like what's being prodded out of them. Like with Evie talking about the oh yeah, Brooke's trying to rig this in her favor sounded so forced. Like Evie didn't Evie was like, oh yeah, well she's trying to rig it in her favor, but also like, yeah, duh, of course she's gonna try to do that. Like that's what her tone conveyed was like, I need to I, I'm being prompted to talk about this, but I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing. So I don't know if there was a little bit of that going on with the confessionals, and then when you see them sitting next to each other, they're like totally fine, Evie and Silky. But uh but I don't know. Maybe we should ask Silky if she can sell ice water to an Eskimo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she definitely talks up her improv skills. And actually, speaking of which, you know, I I figured because it's just the two of us and because these pairings, I think, are so instinctual upon how they work together. It might be easiest if we talked about these scenes separately from how they did on the runway. How does that sound? Okay, it works for me. All right, well, let's start then by talking about these scenes with Suga and Silky. Let's let's talk about, you know, their butt pads out of the trunk uh sale that got interrupted here. So this is one that, you know, put Silky in the top and put Suga in the bottom. They felt that one overwhelmed the other. Do you have any thoughts about it? Yeah, so I oh, like it's really hard because okay, so first of all, I will straight up admit I'm a huge Nina West fan now. I'm like pretty obsessed with her. Um so, in the flip side, Silky is someone who I have not necessarily been vibing with, but I have to give her props here because I thought that she was actually pretty funny when it was just her in the start, like at the start with the cops. I totally get the critique she got later on about not the give and take not necessarily being there, but I thought when it was sort of just her, I thought that that was a really good format for her. And then uh, one of the other thoughts I had while watching this was, where's Sugar? <laughs> and then Sugar finally showed up. Then I kind of like got the format of how it was going to work. Um, so that was like a, a little, like trying to understand because they were the 
first one of how this is going to work with like one person starts and the other one comes in. So then I was like, oh, is Sugar overshadowed because she didn't get to show up until like halfway through? Like, I don't I don't know. I mean, also, she wasn't the strongest character as well. well. Let's hear what Brent has to say about this scene, because he has he has some words for the judging with their thoughts on, you know, the performances of both Silky and Sugar. It's so incredibly frustrating at times watching Michelle because she says that that's just sugar being sugar. And then they say, well, that's just Vanjie being Vanjie. And yet I'm watching this main challenge, you guys. And it's just like Silky being Silky. It's just like the Snatch Game again. There's no characterization. There's no voice inflection. It's the same old loud sass voice. That she always talks with. I do not understand how she gets away with it and other bitches don't. Maybe it's because she makes RuPaul laugh, but I didn't see much laughing from RuPaul in the reading challenge with, with Silky. A little bit in the main challenge, but again, she's acting like herself. There's no characterization. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I will say off the top, I totally agree with you. I said this last week that, you know, I might not like Silky personally, but I will call her out when I feel like she did a good job. And I feel like from a performative aspect, when it came to doing improv, I thought she did a good job. Was she a good scene partner? Not necessarily. There was a point where, you know, they were asking Sugar when she finally came in, you know, hey, did you just come from church? And Sugar was trying to yes and it. And Silky interrupts and says, nope, she's a hoe. She didn't come from church. And it's sort of like you're sort of, uh, you know, trying to kill the yes and of your own partner so that doesn't necessarily move the scene along but i mean she put forward her own lines i did love the iron in the butt pad mm-hmm. and getting asked does this iron belong to you and she says no it belongs to the holiday inn i thought she was able to benefit from the fact that cheyenne jackson could not get a hold on her that she was able to really do this extended over the top rolling over the car and getting fortune feemster to sit on her which really made her shine over poor sugar who just tried to mug from the back seat of the the police car but yeah i mean I think if you're looking at a first-hand display as to why Silky's probably going to make the top four at this point, look at the way that these two were judged, where mm-hmm. I don't think Silky necessarily benefited from the fact, from an audience perspective, that these two challenges were in a row, because she sort of acted the same way in both of these, and she does a strong job at it, but I will give credit to Suga that she did Charo last week and what she attempted to do this week are two very different things. I, I agree with Brent here. I think it's a bit odd that they're admonishing Sugar for being too much Sugar when Silky was acting very similar to what we usually see her doing in her wheelhouse. So I guess they'd rather see one character done well over and over and over again than a system of varied characters that are not necessarily fully fleshed out. Uh, unless you're Asian, apparently, because if like that's that's the other thing that I don't understand is the criticism of or, or so okay so I think like Silky, Vanji, and then Plastique to a certain extent all sort of fall under this same purview of okay so maybe they can't vary their characters all that much but then. Is it just a matter of like whether or not the character that they do really well is funny or mm. not? And then it's allowed? Or if you code switch and then that's not allowed? Like, I the judging is, has been, uh, not gonna lie, like hard for me, uh, this season because of that sort of thing with, you know, especially Silky and Vanjie, of course, being the first two that sort of like stand out. Um, because, yeah, but, like, Silky also made me laugh, so it's yeah. kind of conflicting. So, uh, I don't know, but, yeah. 
See, that's the thing is that I could see her either be in third place or fourth place. And we'll talk about the runway. I think mm. the runway definitely put her out in contention in the top two because she wasn't a great scene partner, but at the same time, and I guess we saw this firsthand with Nina only being safe. It seems like they valued less the support idea of the improv versus actually just standing out and being funny on your own. It's mm -hmm. exactly the opposite of what you experience in an improv class where improv, the typical adage is, you know, the best improvisers make their scene partners look good. Not necessarily happening in a talent-based competition on RuPaul's Drag Race where you're being judged as individuals. If they were maybe being judged as teams, that would make sense, and I think it would be more egregious for Silky to do what she did. But it seems like since they were being judged as individuals and she stood out and she was able to monopolize and eat the time from her scene partner, I think that she was able to put herself in a prime position that promptly uh, removed herself afterwards, depending on what she put in the runway. Yeah, that's right. Eat the chicken, eat the time. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> exactly. So we'll see. You know, I, I will be interested to see when we have this magic challenge next week, what personality she's going to put out there. For what it's worth, as we said, the judges seem to love it. So while it might be a bit repetitive, especially two, three weeks in a row, it's working for the judges in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it, you know, that also makes me wonder about Suga, though, because there were the the confusion about Suga's story. Like, oh, she was a, a widow, but now she is a new man. I wonder if Silky had been a more considerate scene partner. We actually would have understood the story because it felt like she Suga was never able to really, like, get it out or explain it because Suga or Silky just kept sort of, you know, oh, but she's a hoe kind of thing. Right. So that, like, throws Suga's story out the window because you can't really understand it. And the other thing I'll say about Suga, I think think that her a her runway definitely redeemed herself i think if there was any chance she would be in the bottom two i think that definitely pulled her out of it uh in mm -hmm. advancing ahead of vanjie and plastique the other thing was i had a minor quibble about you know she's talking about how she called in the complaint she has these busted hip pads or butt pads but we didn't see them you know there was this one shot of her sort of facing profile to cheyenne but like i wanted to see them if there's a visual joke there about how square or misshapen and lumpy they look I want to see that visual. I think that would definitely have helped her performance a bit. Otherwise, it just seemed like she was attempting to complain about stuff only to sort of get shouted down by Silky when she was trying to explain herself. Yeah, right. I completely agree. Because even thinking back, I was like, yeah, OK, they definitely looked misshapen a little bit. But if you're going for something like this, you just have to be so they have to be so bad. <laughs> well, let's move on here to definitely a more supportive pairing here, even though one does get praised over the other here. What did you think about Brooke and Nina? Um, okay, so I really loved Brooke and Nina. This was the first one that really gave me like Reno 911 mm -hmm, vibes, mm -hmm. and I was 100% here for it. Um, I thought that Brooke really had her character fleshed out, you know, this whole like, oh, I teach interpretive dance at the community center <laughs> like type character that was naked. And then, you know, I wish I, we had seen more of Nina, because I think Nina also had a fleshed out character, and it was interesting because we heard in some of of the confessionals while they were performing, Suga saying things like, oh, Nina is really funny. Nina's doing a great job. Uh, but Brooke is really the, the gag here that she's also being funny. So I almost like wanted more. I wanted to see more because mm. I think it was funny. I wanted more. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they worked the best together, I think, as a pair. But I think the narrative that they were trying to paint was Nina sacrificed herself for Brooke. And as a result, she ended up, you know, paying the price for it, even though there was this really interesting moment on the runway where when they're adjudicating Brooke and she says, they say, oh, yeah, Nina did a great job, too. Yeah. 
what? Like, that's what, that's what, that's what I didn't get. Like, because honestly, my favorite line of probably the season so far came from this skit and it was Nina and it was when Brooke, like, which by the way, oh my God, if I could ever, like, Brooke is hashtag workout goals mm-hmm. because my God, like, when she splits her legs and, um, uh, Nina says, like, that is a parting of the Red Sea. Yes. And then I call her Paula and I keep her hidden. <laughs> Made me laugh so hard. Oh, my God. And it was so perfect for her, like, repressed character. I was just loving it. And what put this and the Akaria and Evie scene above the other two is that this one actually felt like it had a beginning, middle, and end. To your yes. point, it felt like it was an actual scene rather than just a smattering of lines where, you know, you have Brooke sunbathings as Starfire Glamazon, uh, you know, with the the septum piercing and everything. She does her little hippy-dippy dances. Also, I will call her out on that level four vegan joke, just because Simpsons did it, Simpsons did it. I will say, I think what also really benefited the performers who did well in this was, I think, the ones who interacted more with the two cops ended mm-hmm. up getting judged better, like Silky, Brooke, and I would say even Akira did a lot of batting and back and forth with the judges themselves. I think that really endeared themselves to them because I think that proves your improvisation skills where you're not just put the blinders on focused on one person. You're really trying to take in everything that everyone else is throwing at you. Like I love when she throws herself around fortune and says, you smell like my dad. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, but I really liked, you know, I think Nina was doing what they wanted sugar to do of really being mm-hmm. this, buttoned up you know conservative churchy woman and they built into this thing where they both uh were lesbian lovers you know that they they were she was bringing her out of her shell as it were and they were uh, about to dress each other down though you didn't need to really dress uh brooke down that much considering that she was naked i feel like if this was a partner challenge there was a chance that the two of them could have won and we can certainly talk about how nina's outfit later on though i do I could definitely see a world where Nina's in the top three rather than Silky, my personal preference this week. Oh, 100%. That's how I felt, too. I was... And this... Okay. Again, I'm going to say it. I am biased. Okay? So, just going to straight up say it. But I was gagged that she wasn't in the top. I was so mad. I could see it, though, already coming from a narrative perspective. Bleh, from the editing. But I was still really sad about it. Um, well, but, here's, here's another uh, tinfoil yeah. hat theory. And I think I talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago as to, like, did they place this person in the top or bottom to give them critiques? I believe it was, it was Nina in the bottom of the mm-hmm. farm to runway challenge. Do you think they put Nina as safe and Silky in the top because Michelle wanted to clock Silky about the lip thing and like just knock some reality into her that she does need to step up her pussy every week? Honestly, yeah, 100%. And I was here for it. Um, the critiques on the runway. Um, I wish, I know that would have put Evie all by her lonesome in the untuck, but I really also wanted Nina to get the positive critiques, but I was also happy that Silky got the negative critiques, especially because her outfit was so bad, like so bad. So I was happy that, that that was there and it was sort of a little bit of a reality check. But then it also makes me feel like, oh, you are preferentially giving treatment to Silky because you like her and like you want her to do well. So you're trying to give her these critiques so that she will step her pussy up. Um, uh, it's a fair, uh, there are a lot of complicated emotions going on. Absolutely, but I think it's deservedly so. I think she's a complicated TV character. It's garnered a lot of discussions right. either way, and I do appreciate that. I, that's what I think I love about season 11 in general, is that this is a very complicated 
group of queens. Even someone like Plastique, who went home this week, has garnered a lot of discussion because is she too quiet? Is she too demure? Is she, you know, is she just someone who doesn't necessarily have that personality that sticks out? I think they've done a great job these past couple seasons of really casting and showcasing queens three-dimensionally. And when you showcase people three-dimensionally, they're not necessarily painted in black and white. There's a lot of shades of gray in between. Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's what's been really great about this season because we've been able to see... I mean, it's confusing from a narrative perspective, but we've been able to see the good and the bad in pretty much everybody. So even the front runners, you know, you see like Silky with her bad runways or, you know, Evie with her, you know, in her own words, like being an asshole to other people and maybe not being polished with some of her runways and, you know, Brooke, like not being a great actress. And so then it makes it hard from a narrative perspective to like understand what's the like what's the overall story I'm trying to be told because it's more complicated. And so it does bring up a lot of these discussions. It challenges me and it makes me think. <laughs> so and one more thing I want to say about the Brooke and Nina scene. Again, Brooke, much like Silky, benefits from having her own sort of standalone bow here where again Nina's able to get taken away. She like handcuffs herself to Cheyenne, throws her legs around Fortune Feemster. And so like it's almost like it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I think that both her and Silky were able to really benefit from finishing on such a high note mm-hmm. and such a like a crazy, hilarious physical comedy note that that really helped them along. Yeah, 100%. The physical comedy here is also really important. Um, you, like, I was sort of learning, okay, what is it that you really needed to prepare? And it seemed like you needed some sort of a structure and then the uh, backstory of your characters. And then you can, like, throw in the lines, but also have the physical comedy. And that's sort of what made for a really well-rounded skit. Let's talk about somebody that had none of those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I was confused from the very beginning of this. I will say, I'll throw out a question here for you, Liana. Do you think Plastique and Vanjie were dealt a bad hand to begin with, considering that this idea of them being literal cats, which they were given, was a little more muddled and far-fetched than I would say the other three scenarios? Yeah, it was definitely really weird. And I also don't know if they were given, like, how much of a backstory they were given. So, like, what we know for Nina and Brooke is that, like, one was a naked sunbather. And then there was another uptight person. So what was the description for Plastic and Vanjie? I don't know. It was <laughs> like, it, I guess it must have been like, we knew the characters, right? We knew Broadway Cat and we knew Street Cat. Uh, but I don't know if they were, I mean, if there was a story about the milk in the castle audition, they either completely <laughs> forgot about it or glossed over it considering... I'm still confused after watching this a couple times as to what the hell was going on and why they were fighting so much. Okay, here are my two notes. Fighting over milk. Someone slept with someone's man. So... <laughs> you don't even recognize who slept with whose man. I think that's very indicative that, like, like, I think in each of those other three scenes, you had very clear roles as to who each person was in their relationship to each other. The fact that you didn't even know who was the offender and who was being offended speaks volumes. I had no idea what was going on. Like, (laughs) it was a complete disaster. My favorite two things were both lines from Cheyenne and Fortune that talked about like, oh, this is like herding cats and I'm good at handling pussies or something like that. Like, those are my two favorite things. And that, I think, says a lot about the skit that they put together. This was just a catastrophe (laughs) to begin with from when they walk in and Plastique throws herself at the feet of Cheyenne. I think that while Vanjie had the more vocal 
energy that was overpowering. I would say Plastique had some pretty overpowering physical energy as well, considering she was really all over the place. And you could tell they were both extremely uncomfortable considering they doubled down on it. I mean, they were both talking at the same time. There was something about how so Plastique was going to a cat's audition, but then Vanjie interrupts to say, like, that's not real. That doesn't exist. Which, again, don't do that to your scene partner, because then it just completely confuses the reality. Then there was something about how, like, Vanjie was stealing milk from her, and then she spilled the milk on the ground, and Plastique was very close to licking milk off of the concrete, which might have been... I don't know if that would have been the worst thing about the scene, considering just how much of a low bar it was, but... This was just completely, I'm so confuddled by, <laughs> I'm positively bum-puzzled by whatever this scene was supposed to be. Yeah, the um, the milk on the ground thing was pretty gross also, and I didn't understand what was happening. I mean, that was me, obviously, the entire time, but especially then, because it was like, Vanjie took the bottle off the milk and then, like, spilled it on the ground, and then Plastic runs over. Like, was she supposed to be, like, a milk addict kind of thing? Maybe, like, that's what's happening. So then, of course, because it's a very unclear narrative, I'm trying to impose my own narrative to try to make it make sense in some sort of way, but that doesn't help because it's just... And then when Plastique took her wig off at the end, I also didn't really understand that, and I didn't... Here's the other thing. They were supposed to be real cats, right? I think so. Like, it's weird because... But I don't understand because if she went to go audition for the role in the cats, I mean, I know that the new Cats movie has them apparently, like, dancing as the size of cats, so it's it's very confusing as to how we interpret anthropomorphic cats nowadays <laughs> anyway, but I'm just very confused that she took off her wig. I think the strongest part of this, by far, was when Cheyenne, you know, had her, instead mm-hmm. of walk the line for a, for a DUI test, to have her do two counts of eight, and I think she did a great job with that. That's a nice microcosm of, like, as Cheyenne said, how you do improv. You take something and you you've been given and you progress it further but then it gets into like them wrestling on the ground this really reminds me of like when you go see your friends in an improv 101 class and these two people come out and they both have oh i have this great idea for a scene and they just keep like shouting over one another another of these ideas and if they think it's funny the more energy they bring to it like hey if my concept isn't coming across i just need to yell it louder and therefore the audience will get it more and it just ends up in complete chaos with the two of them wrestling each other all over the milk-covered ground. <laughs> As apparently real cats, but also, yeah, this was, this was, oh my gosh, this was pretty bad. Yeah, this might be, this might be, like, at least the bottom two or three improv scenes we've seen in these four challenges on RuPaul's Drag Race. <sighs> yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why this one falls a little bit in the middle, because it's, like, a lot of good, but then this one was just so bad. Because, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the bossy Rossi ones that were cringeworthy, and I remember, it wasn't, um... Well, that was the one like where Monet uh, exchanges wasn't very good yeah, that was or something. Th- that was the one where Mayhem Miller and Monet ended up in the bottom. Uh, right. And, and it was but it wasn't like I remember something about like Monet coming out with a salad or something like there. There wasn't really I don't know. It did not seem as much of a hot mess. Maybe it's because it was more contained in a studio rather than here. They were just like running around a parking lot. This one just right. seemed more out of control. And again, people might like the train wreck value of it, but I'm still just completely a gag a gog that like 
we watched these two minutes of TV unfold because I have no idea what was going on, save like 30 seconds of that entire scene. I think Monet's she was eating her butt pads. That's or what it was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that like that's that's what I think makes the difference. I don't know if that's what was given to them. Was like, oh, here's a basic framework for how your skit is going to play out. Because even though it was a disaster, at least I knew why Monet was there. I had no idea why Plastique and Vanjie were outside the milk liquor store. <laughs> well, let's move on here to a much higher note. What did you think about Akira? And Evie's uh, twerking corner girl standoff turn mother-daughter reunion. Oh my gosh. Well, the first thing that stood out to me was like, oh, this has a story. Right. Thank this God. Is, like, th- yes, thank God. At least there's some sort of narrative that is going on here. Um, I mean, the standout here is Akira. Um, I think that she was just so funny with the physical comedy. Like, oh my gosh, the crying, twerking just oh. made me laugh so much. And when Evie and Akira were hugging each other and twerking, th- 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 lovely. Just the physical comedy here was so good. Yeah, Akira was really a surprise for me. And even more so than Brooklyn. Maybe it's just because Rue, I think, really built up like, hey, Brooklyn, really use your physicality here. But she was so damn funny. She really has started to play into that Asia O'Hara thing of, yes, you're a poised pageant queen, but like, let loose and be goofy a little bit. And I'm certainly glad that she did here. I totally think she had the winning performance this week. I think that because she was not only doing that fantastic stuff. I even love when she was running away and twerking, but she was able to play up the old lady thing. I did love the old school, new school thing going on mm-hmm. here that they were, they were underlining a bit. She was able, but she had a little bit of, you know, tenderness when Evie comes out as her daughter. Like this, this scene brought you places. And I don't know if the other three scenes necessarily did that. I mean, she was just so good responding not only to Evie, but to the other cops as well with such assuredness. She was so confident in her character. And I think that comes from her natural confidence, you know, with the pageant scene, you obviously need to be confident in who you are. And I think it just, the stars really aligned for her here. She totally blew me away this week. I would call her at this point a dark horse to win. I still think it's between Brooke and Evie at this point, but Akira has really proved that, at least from a performative perspective, she can show how much of her box she can step outside of. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think Akira is going to be the other, you know, person in the top four with Evie Brooklyn and um, uh, Silky. Uh, when Akira for me is just somebody who, you know, I thought she did well in the uh, this the acting challenge with the. Uh, um, Good God Girl. No, the, what yeah, was it? Yeah, the Good God yeah, Girl Get Out. She was very much, yes. I feel like, feel like she was very much in the Evie territory uh, in that, like, they almost swapped places in that mm-hmm. challenge where Evie was much more of the crazy standout and Akira was the very solid supporting character. I feel mm-hmm. like we sort of got that flip-flopped here where Akira was doing the much more wacky, outrageous things and Evie was solid. I think her performance was very safe this week, which, as you said, was a market improvement from the last week. But it's so interesting to see how those different settings sort of made them flip-flop their positions and all things. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to keep the scene balanced between the two, you know, to have equally standout characters. And so Evie sort of naturally falls into a little bit more of the supporting role. But I think that she also did a really great job. Um, I like the twerking circus thing. that they- yeah, The twerkus? <laughs> the twerkus, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. Um, but I think, you know, Akira just happened to be the standout here because 
<laughs> for me because all the twerking and like her running away from the cuffs I thought was really great and the twerking while she's being cuffed you know like all of that just really fit and I think uh, to your point about the range of emotions because of the story like that was also cool to see so they each both Evie and Akira got to tap into sort of this we're fighting because we both want to twerk on the same corner um, you know all the way to oh my gosh you're my mother you're my daughter like let's hug it out or twerk it out I guess <laughs> I wonder how if, if Mark Wahlberg had to be a part of the story because otherwise what a random choice for like the <laughs> the seedy father who planted his seed in Akira yeah I thought that that was odd I mean I think that that was something that they had to have come up with but I just would have loved to have been in the room for the conversation about like okay so who should be my father uh I don't know like who crosses the lot like who would yeah I don't know who would it be why Marky Mark who would go around sleeping with twerkers and right. try to impregnate them <laughs> yeah but then like I don't know has a career reversal later on or something like <laughs> why Marky Mark of all people yeah, I'm assuming this was, you know, uh, back in the mid 2000s, his phase where he appeared on The Departed and people were saying, wow, Marky Mark in a Martin Scorsese movie. Maybe he is on the up and up. So right. I think that it is it's a very interesting choice. But I mean, I won't couple with it too much. This is a really fun scene to end on. It just had sort of all the notes there. And I think it makes sense why Akira ends up winning mm. this challenge because she really excelled. And again, I, all three of the top queens in this challenge ended up having an extended sequence where they ran away from the cops while their partner just sort of had to watch on the sidelines. It's it's not a coincidence, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so, too, because that's a great I mean, it's when Silky was a, like alone at the beginning when you are alone at the end and you can sort of snatch the scene and really lead into the physical comedy like that's a chance for you to shine and for you to stand out. So for any contestant in the future, always get cuffed second. <laughs> Before we move on, we're going to take a quick second to untuck and listen to a brief word from our sponsors. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. We are back, back, back again and ready to move on. Let's move on to the runaway here and give our brief remarks. So the theme is, Face Keeney fantasy. It's so interesting that it references Rue's look during the last ball on Earth, considering that didn't we discover that Rue was super sick that episode? And the theory is that, you know, she didn't want to get in full makeup. So she sort of put on this whole face Keeney thing. Yes, exactly. It was like the bitch had pink eye and didn't want to put on makeup. So that's where the face Keeney was born. Now it's a runway theme. Well, maybe that's why Silky really embodied that. <laughs> that's right exactly that's what she was going it was very method of her she was like i really have to get into what rupaul was thinking at the time speaking of silky let's start off with her outfit oh, here no. this take on a cockroach slash wingless fly liana did this bug you as much as it did the judges <laughs> yes so uh my first thought was like ben de la creme called <laughs> and she wants her knockoff outfit back <laughs> ben de la creme did that like bug thing that was oh super yeah i remember cool like, was... i mean i remember her uh even at the top of the runway like working her arms up and down like how a fly cleans itself so yeah that, that animal she... runway between 
that was that the one with Courtney Act with the with the bird wings, mm-hmm. and then of course you have Terry on the other side of the spectrum. So bad it's good. Darian Lake's like elephant thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was the one with the um, the iconic lip sync with um, Trinity K. Bonet when she looked absolutely gorgeous. Oh yes, and that, when her, like, when her and Jordan Delano basically had mm-hmm. sex on stage. Yes, and RuPaul loved it. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, but anyway, this was like. Not even the when you buy it on like what you see online and then when it arrives, like this was somehow much, much worse than that. <laughs> like the coolest part was from her forehead up, which was mm-hmm. the like bug thing, which did look pretty cool. Everything else was pretty much terrible. Like the face key was had no embellishment. I totally got what Michelle was saying about the detail and like making it look finished and polished and elevating it. Um, you know, even though Silky will want to say, well, my drag is simple, but you know, this just looked like the, the mask you're going to wear when you rob the liquor store. And then the outfit wasn't anything to write home about. This is a mass singer outfit. Oh my god, no, how dare you? How dare you say that? The Mass Singer is so much better. This, I mean, it's so interesting. Like, this is, we're very much now in the brown cow giraffe area where, how could you think it was a fly? <laughs> I guess I could understand it, but at the same time, flies have wings. That's why they're named flies. Right. <laughs> why? I think that the concept, I really appreciate it. I thought it was cool that everyone else sort of did their face kini is just like, Yep, I'm wearing this thing over my face as part of my look. And she tried to create a sort of weird avant-garde animalized version of it. Maybe she was inspired by the cat outfit, the cat outfit. So I really do appreciate the instincts and ideas of it. But this is yet another case where the execution does not live up to what it's supposed to be on paper. Like, I understand the leather jacket pairing, but it doesn't really match here. Uh, you know, at least she's not wearing a gown. So you know what? I'm going to give her credit there. I called her out last week, like, please give us something besides gowns. This is something different. So that's a huge thumbs up, in my opinion. So I thought that there was some playfulness here, but I feel like the execution did not live up to the idea that she was going for. And as a result, I think it properly invalidated her from a win here. Like, is she a roach? Is she like a punk rocker roach? Is she like a roach from the future who wears leather with shoulder pads? Like, I, uh, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But yes, I understand that, like, it's cool to try to think about, you know, oh, how can you do something creative? And so, yeah, I will give her that. But just the execution was so bad, it's hard for me to see that. <laughs> I think from my perspective, I'm putting myself in the head of Silky. I think the bug mask was what she was really concentrating on from a from mm-hmm. like an effort perspective. And it looks really cool. I love mm-hmm. the feathering on the antennae. I love the glassy look that the eyes get. Like, there was a lot of effort spent on that. At the expense of everything else. And unfortunately, you're judged on your outfit, not necessarily your head, uh, as much as they try to judge people's heads often on RuPaul's Drag Race. So I think that this just was a little bit of a miss for Silky. I'll give her credit again for trying to step outside her box. But I'm also glad that this also was sort of her, her reckoning moment where we'll talk about this in Untucked. I was happy that Silky has finally realized, okay, I need to realize that I can't just sit on being me. I really, if I want to win this crown, I really do need to, you know, up my game and show that I do care about this and I'm listening to the judges. Yeah, and I 100% appreciate that. Like, you know, it shows that she, I mean, she cares enough that she can take in the critiques and want to change and want to improve. So, like, that's something that I have to give her credit for. And I'm excited to see kind of then how she incorporates that into next week's look. So, what did you think about Suga's 
uh, my foreskin lady, as the judges put it, <laughs> look on the runway here. This vintage Vogue uh, covered in pink and white and black. Oh, I really liked this. Um, I thought that this was something that uh, would not have been the first thing I thought of when I thought of face kini, you know, to do something um, with this like very elaborate rose colored, uh, rose colored fabric. Everything. What was it? The line from the judges that was like, everything looks better through rose colored fabric. Yeah, I thought exactly. it was really funny. Um, the only th- honestly, I mean, one of the only critique I have is I didn't like the black outline around her eyes and her mouth because I thought that, I don't know, like maybe it look weird it made it like emphasize it in some way that made her look kind of like a suction fish or something and no not evie um but uh, yeah it, i love the comment also from cheyenne that was like well it's heavy so you know like it must be fabulous i do see your point about it i mean it, it's i think there's a fine line between face kini and ski mask and i mm. wonder if maybe if she didn't have the circles and had sort of like what we're going to talk about with brooklyn soon blended her makeup in with so the white and the pink, maybe it would have come across as more of a face kini, but I guess it sort of is in line with these stark black lines sort of outline the entire garment. I mean, this is, it's equal parts disturbing and beautiful. I feel like with face kinis, I always get the image of like the gimp from Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. with like that mm-hmm. full bodysuit. And yep. I'm sort of getting it here in a very Victorian way. Like if the gimp went to the Kentucky Derby, this is yeah. what it would look like. I think Aww. this is fantastic. And I'll, again, I'll repeat what I said last week. What I really appreciate about Sugarcane is that every week on the runway, she's bringing me something different. And this week is no different. I was so happily surprised by what she brought out here. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. And watch the week I say this. Now, next week, she's going to bring out something totally rote and boring. But she continues to surprise me with her looks. And I love even like the polka dotted gloves help break it up a little bit as well it's still Mm -hmm. a matching pattern but helps it not just look like one full piece of fabric this was just to compare this right after silkies i think she really benefited from that as well considering the effort that you can see went into every single stitch of this yeah yeah that's very true um to have the like direct immediate comparison to silkies um i i just thought I mean, this was fabulous and i i loved her runway last week as well i know i didn't get to talk about it but i've been really like apart from the weird troll thing that was not a troll that was a genie like i've been loving what sugarcane has been doing on the runway yeah i would say with plastique now gone i feel like when it comes to runways i feel like we're in like a three-way contest right now three-way horse race between Brooke, Evie, and maybe Sugar is sort of like a, a last-minute contender as well in terms of bringing out interesting things to the runway each week. <laughs> Can't wait to curse her for next week. <laughs> well, speaking of horses, let's talk about Brooklyn Heights zebra-like wireframe mask face kini. What did you think about this? Oh, I thought this was really cool. And it was so detailed and like well put together. And this, you know, the the critique that Michelle gave about how the makeup blends into the face skinny and even with the uh, the stripes, like how does she get it to line up so perfectly? Like, that's amazing. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe she put on the fabric beforehand and then like painted to match it. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, I mean, it's completely blended in. It looks like she's wearing a full bodysuit complete with face and it's just it is remarkable and it's the small details like that i totally agree it's clear that michelle's criteria for this runway was does your face does the curtain match the drapes in a manner of speaking Mm -hmm. does your face match what's above it and i mean this was just all sorts amazing first 
I will say, don't know what it is about this season and zebras between last week's <laughs> look with Akira, with the sequin zebra, then this week with Brooklyn. But honestly, the thing that I am really interested by is the mechanization of it all between, you know, she has these sort of gears that are working their way down diagonally, almost like a sash or a shaw. And she has like a Broadway Lion King-esque way of hinting towards a zebra with the mm-hmm. wireframe mask. And I love that mohawk. That mm-hmm. mohawk is so, so cool. So it actually reminds me a bit of like, I could see this and Evie's take on the lion back in week two, like in some sort of weird avant-garde mechanical safari that you're going to go on in the future. Oh my gosh, that is a show that I would absolutely love to see. <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but uh, but I'm here for it. I think what I love the most about the Mohawk too is the fact that she had the gears like inlaid with the Mohawk also. Mm. Like, uh, you know, this sort of robotic but very realized image of a zebra. And then with the um, with the mask, like I actually thought it was cool that she could tilt it up and then show off the face kini because that was like the whole point. I can totally see her if she didn't do that getting a critique of like oh well you know why wire mask in front of yeah. it so like we couldn't really see her face skinny so clearly she was thinking of that and she wanted to make sure that she could emphasize the amazing makeup job that she did with the face skinny let's go to nina west here and i'm gonna shoot it over to brent to give his thoughts not only on nina on the runway and this week but also a bit upon what she touched on to evie in untucked nina west seriously robbed Absolutely robbed. Why couldn't there be seven queens on the runway, Liana? <laughs> Four tops and three bottoms. That sounds like a party. I'm here for that. Uh, I mean, why couldn't she be out there? That runway was absolutely freaking amazing. It's another one where I couldn't tell what was the mask and what was the makeup. And the great part was that I could see a great silhouette, even with the jacket. It was like the reverse of last week, where the jacket didn't make her look bigger this time. She looked cinched and padded, and it was so put together. And girl, all of those references, Mr. Peanut and his mustache, a clockwork orange, girl, she seriously doesn't get any respect. I felt like in Untucked, where Nina says that she doesn't think that people take her seriously, of course, they edited it to sound like she was talking about the other queens, but I think she was talking about production. I think she was talking about RuPaul, like, RuPaul and the judges, they don't take me seriously. Uh, oh my god. First of all, is Brent actually here? Because that was like eerily creepy. How he, how he um, talked specifically to you, yeah. He talked to me and it was something they talked about earlier. I was I was like, I know that would have left Evie by herself and untucked, but oh uh, anyway, oh my gosh. I cosign. I cosign everything. <laughs> I I mean I'll co-sign as well. I think that maybe it's because I'm just so endeared by Nina's personality, but I, I have Nina. been so impressed by her looks as of late. I was a big fan of her look last week, but this might even supplant last week as my favorite Nina West look just because it is so crazy. And this is where camp really meets glamour, in my opinion, in a weird manner of speaking. Yes, she is wearing a pantsuit. And she looks like some sort of weird, demented Dr. Seuss fever dream. But there's just so much great stuff going on here. Just the simple matching of red and white. The hints of the polka dots on the 
you know, she doesn't need to cover herself fully in it like sugar, but it's in the shoes. It's on the hands. It's obviously on the face. It's even on the bowler hat. I loved putting on the garish eyelashes over it as well and painting the lips with the mustache to make the red even stand out so far. This is such a well thought out outfit. And I am so disappointed that Nina was not in the top because I thought she at least deserved some applause from the judges for what she's really been able to do, which is take their to take their uh, critiques well. So I guess I'll bring up Brent's other point here. She does a really interesting job. And again, this is why like totally miscongeniality uh, worthy, in my opinion, where she really talks to Evie and says, like, look, I know that you're probably not getting your due from some of these other queens. But for what it's worth, I really respect you as a competitor and you help better me by pushing me out there, which I just think is so sweet and probably something that Evie needed to hear, especially after all the silky stuff. But Nina says, I feel like I'm not being respected because partially because I'm a comedy queen and my aesthetic is not necessarily what these other girls are working in. Do you agree from both a queen perspective and a judging perspective, perhaps? I love Nina West so much. I just want her like plastique to be my white dad. <laughs> like I love Nina. I completely agree. I mean, I just it really hurts my heart to see her come out in an outfit that is so amazing. Like Lee Bauer is it's Lee Bowery girl meets Mr. Peanut meets a clockwork orange. The like the literally the only thing bad I could say about this outfit is maybe a black mustache would have been better because it sort of blends in with her lips. Mm. And I kind of couldn't tell if she was wearing a mustache. That is my only critique because the detail of the polka dots on the inlay of the jacket, yes. which matches the shirt, which goes up into the face, skinny of the bowler with the shoes and the hands. Oh, my God. And Talk about proportionized. When she walks out, pulls back that coat, even though you could see her proportions underneath it, I was floored. Her shape was amazing. Like, I loved this outfit so much. I was so upset that she was not in the top to get positive critiques for this and positive critiques for what she's been doing. So, yes, I feel like production is sleeping on her. And I just, I, I want to, like, show the whole world what an amazing person she is, how caring and kind and considerate. I mean, you know, when we talked in the preseason about, oh, she's raised $2 million for, you know, for charities or like her own charity, I think, or something like that. I don't know. But it was like, oh, yeah, OK. Now I understand where it's coming from. Like, she is truly such an amazing human being and someone who I just want to be friends with. Like, I am obsessed and I love her. And again, a lot of emotion. So I'm going to stop talking. Do you think that she's sort of falling into the same season 10 Monique Hart bucket? Yes. Where the judges aren't even raw submitted this during All-Stars 4. Like, I didn't really see the appeal of Monique until I watched season 10 back. Do you think we might be seeing a similar case here with Nina where, granted, she has much more of a storied reputation, but maybe just because of the other personalities around her, the judges aren't necessarily seeing what she's putting out there at its full potential. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think the fact that they sort of, you know, with the very first um, box challenge where they had to do the the look inspired by a former drag queen and her outfit was that like areola nipple dress that I keep <laughs> making the jokes about, which I stand by. They look like nipples. Anyway, that's like the first thing that I think was put in the judge's head and they can't for something they can't like shake this um that she 
is turning out these great looks and is improving or something. I don't know if it's like a mental block or like they just don't vibe with her like they didn't vibe with Monique. Like, I don't know what the deal is, but I'm hoping that she's able to, you know, like, I don't think she's going to win this season as much as it hurts my heart, but I hope that she gets an opportunity to come back for an All-Stars and has hopefully, well, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever outcome. I just hope the judges appreciate her. That's all I want. That's all I want. Speaking of proportionizing, let's talk about what Vanjie put out here. And I will say I agree with the judges that, you know, she made an effort to not produce that same silhouette. Granted, they were talking about the silhouette, but in a very different circumstance. I think my thing is less so about her not having boobs because she is sort of going for that modern day sex doll look uh, that maybe is not is maybe more attuned to you know, a uh, smaller frame and not necessarily for something more voluptuous, but her damn legs look like hot dogs. <laughs> that's that's the problem with the, the stirrups that she didn't necessarily know what they were referring to is that there's just no definition to the leg. So now all I see are hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, I loved the comparison to the wacky inflatable man outside the car dealership um, because I thought that that was very fitting. I also didn't like I so I noticed that there was like something weird about the pants, um, but I didn't quite realize what it was because they do like taper to fit her at the ankle, but they are just little tube hot dog legs. Um, and so that's really hard to look for anything other than tube legs. I think at least from the waist up. It's interesting. You know, she has, she, uh, I guess she predated actually like Trace Royale's anal bead inflatable mm-hmm. look with her own, you know, ponytail working. I did love her just sort of like furiously jerking off the ponytail under any circumstance she got complete with, uh, you know, I'm assuming this was done in post the squeakiness mm-hmm. that was added in. I'm sure if people hate that noise, I'm sure they're not a huge fan of it. But I mean, again, I'll applaud Vanjie for doing something different here and her makeup did sort of look like it was underneath i just think again her improvement brought things from like a c to a to a b minus or a b plus and when you still have queens out there putting out a's on the runway Mm -hmm. it's it's tough to compare across the board so i feel like while i admire the effort on this this was not in my opinion enough to bring her out of the bottom two especially considering what sugar put out by comparison yeah like i don't hate this but I also don't love this. <laughs> like I, I can appreciate what she's doing, that she's doing something different. I also love that it like whatever the, the latex material, I just want to like, I want to touch it. It seems so smooth. Yeah. And the, and the interesting patterning on it. Yeah. Too. Like, it like almost looks like scales. Yeah. 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 She's like a snake sex robot doll thing, I guess, maybe. Um, I don't know. According to Natasha Leone, that might be the future. Snake sex robots. <laughs> That's right. That's where we're headed. Um, so, yeah, I don't hate this, but it's also, you know, when you look, like you said, at some of the other looks on the runway this week, I mean, this is probably, you know, bottom two or three for me. Speaking of Natasha Leone, did you have any thoughts on her or the other two guest judges this week? I know Fortune and Cheyenne are returnees and she's a newbie, but did you have any thoughts about them overall? Yeah, I thought they were all really fantastic. Um, I I really loved this episode all in all, and I think it's because it was a, a fun challenge for me um, and because the judges were great. I think I think her comment about the uh, Clint Eastwood, the Clint Eastwood yes. <laughs> rename, like that, that really had me laughing and i actually 
of all the judges who have sort of come back into the untucked, you know, during the untuckingness of it all, um, she was one of the most fun. So I can appreciate that. And obviously, I think Cheyenne and Fortune were, were really great. Yeah, fun fact. Uh, Natasha Leone is one of my celebrity crushes. I, I don't know <gasps> what it is. Maybe it's maybe it's that thick New York Jew accent. Maybe it's the voluptuous red hair. Her just like, you know, her her sort of uh, lackadaisical confidence. But I think that she was super fun here. You could tell she was just having so much fun and being in her own weird little world. Uh, and I love just how the way she sort of interacted with the judges on that. But I think all three of them were super fun to the point where. I didn't necessarily miss Karsten or Ross. It's interesting. I think this is the first time in quite a while where neither one of them were in this episode. I know Karsten's been MIA for a while, but it's surprising that Ross wasn't in this episode. But I thought that both Fortune and Cheyenne were not only great to work with in the scenes, but they provided great feedback as well. Like, I think if they end up, if Drag Race grows even more and Ross and Karsten get super busy, like, I could see a format where they bring on three guest judges every week. Yeah. Yeah. I think these like these judges were really good. I don't know if you're always going to have the perfect storm of like three really great guest judges. But yeah, I didn't even notice that neither Ross uh, nor Carson were there just because I thought that the judges that we had were doing such a great job. So if you get the right formula, then I uh, sorry, but, you know, they're maybe not necessary. So let's talk about Plastique here. This feels like her face kini got put in the wash or something and totally got stretched out because as Rue called it, I think Rue put it best when he called it a, a face thong instead of a face kitty. This barely qualifies in my opinion. And again, I'll say like Vanjie's, this was another outfit that could not lift her out of the bottom too. What did you think about it? Yeah. So this, um, so, okay. The first thing I thought was, Oh, this is, uh, Aja's look from season nine, the episode where she goes home. She's got like a very similar, like the corset is the same. The mm. shoulders look a little different and like it, it's, it's a little different from that. But that was like the first thing I thought of. And then the second thing was like, where's your face, Keeney? Um, because the face thong I was like, okay, maybe because she had the way she had done her makeup, I was like, maybe. Maybe she's got like a plastic thing that's mm. kind of blurring her. Ma- so, so sort thought- of like when Nina had like the weird fa- during the monster ball, she had like the weird plastic face above her own. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Something like that or something that was sort of clear, maybe. And so it was obscuring the makeup underneath and sort of making it look that way. Uh, but then I realized that that was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> the makeup is actually really interesting. I will commend yeah. her on the makeup. Like the smudging she does. It's not exactly smudged lips. It's more so that she sort of put on her lipstick and like smudged out from each end to just create a bigger picture of her lips, especially from a further away angle. So that's all really cool stuff. I just think it would look even better if it had an actual face kitty on it. And I think even she acknowledged in Untucked, like, I think she misunderstood the assignment to quote mm-hmm. Drop Dead Gorgeous. She came out with the the big ball of twine on her head and unfortunately got admonished for it. Well, I think also um, it was Ariel who like showed what her look, I think she posted on Instagram, like what her look would have been if she had done the face kini. And hers also was not like a full face kini. Like 
or something. So I, I I don't know. I think that maybe it was like a misunderstanding of the challenge, like what exactly that meant. Um, but yeah, to your point about the makeup, that's why I thought that there was something else on her face because, mm. because she had sort of blurred it in such a way that made it look like that was the effect of some other sort of mask. Um, but it, you know, face Keeney aside, I thought that the rest of the outfit, I mean, it was like, it was cool and fun, but also because plastique has been setting the bar so high with her previous outfits, this yeah. felt like a little bit of like, I think it was and untucked it's like her normal looks but less polished so it's sort of a down for her yeah this is probably my least favorite plastique look but again that's sort of just like it's a very high bar to clear right. i think this is the first time she really in my opinion stumbled with this and it ended up just being the one where she did not do a good job in the main challenge as well and so it ended up really sticking the landing here in the bottom yeah, I completely agree. I'm going back and looking at all of her looks and they're all I mean, she's knocking it out of the park every single week. And so it's unfortunate for her that the two things sort of like coalesced at the same time. So let's talk about Akira's look here. I mean, this I loved Nina and Sugarstink, but I mean, this is another fantastic look. And this is sort of like an, an elevation of Silky's thing where it's a really unconventional take on the face, Kini. But it's executed really well. I agree with what Bianca Del Taco Trio said in uh, uh, in the pit stop this week when she said that from a distance, it does look like a gingerbread man mm -hmm. with weird sort of frosting arrows on it. But once you understood that it was, you know, her getting drawn on by the plastic surgeon, all the places where she's getting done. This was just so freaking cool. And it was a great use of the face, Keeney, considering that she was able to have it, you know, really just be one entire piece i thought you know as simple as the colors were the concept just worked so well and she pulled it off considering the natural assets that she has to be able to really market it i mean this this is one of those things where like she really had to biff it on the runway to not win this challenge and she did a great job on the runway as well this was a fantastic week for akira yeah, I'm not going to lie. I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when I was like, ugh, plastic surgery. Like, uh, we've seen this before. But as I look at it more, I start to appreciate, I think, the fact that she, you know, was able to make it all one piece. Although I would have said having like either cause she didn't have gloves and then her shoes were black, like having something to really tie it all together. I think a nude pump or something probably mm -hmm. would have helped as well. Just have it all be because at least her hands are the same color as the bodysuit. But I think the shoes, I agree, definitely stick out. Yeah, but then when I look at it more, like, I do love the fact that the way that she did all of the patterning, like, it is kind of like a cow and a butcher, like, how they would cut up the cow. But for me, what really stands out is just the proportions. Mm. Oh, my God. Like, she, I mean, she is padded here. Um, but still, like, she... I love her butt so much. Like, so much. Not as much as Nina West. So, okay, order of things I love this season. Nina West, Akira's butt. Those are my top two. There you go, two. that's your top two. Yes. If it ends up being a final lip sync between Nina West and Akira's butt, I think it's going to be real close for you. You really have to kill your darlings there. I know, that's going to be really tough for me. Uh, but either way, I'll be happy because it's my two favorite things this season. Well, let's move on here. Finally, Evie oddly ends up being safe here, but she personally feels like she also redeemed herself with this look. Club Kid meets Creature from the Back Lagoon. Scarlet is shook. Uh, mm -hmm. What did you think about Evie this week? 
Yeah, that was the first thing. It was like, oh, so poor Scarlet. Um, I thought this was really cool. I I loved the unique take on doing, you know, the fact that you have to do a face kini and then she did the creature from the Black Lagoon meets Club Kid. Like, who thinks of something like that? Um, and the fact that she used the, like, sex toy lips thing, that's so <laughs> unconventional, but so cool. And I think what I really appreciated the most, though, was the fact that the way her face kini, she matched with her makeup. Mm-hmm. Like it, they don't necessarily blend in the same way that, say, um, Brooklyn did, but this fits so well. Like she has her eyes like so well defined. They're red. They pop. I can't stop staring at her. I thought this was super cool. Yeah, this is so creepy, but that's so Evie. I mm-hmm. love how detailed it ended up being as well. I know again, it's like it's like a bathing suit with some longer gloves on it, but the dripping green, I feel like really brings out some fun colors on it. I love that the eyebrows or the eye the big eyebrows that Nina pulled out as well match the hair as well with the neon yellow. And yeah, the the red especially sticks out and especially it makes her teeth really stick out. I love that just that unconventional application of, hey, this is what people use to not put teeth into when they're giving head, but I'm going to use this to show as much teeth as possible. Sort of like one of those uh, weird dental things that people are using as of late to play weird games where they try to say words. It's <laughs> It was such like an, an odd image that really stuck out to me. So I feel like this was definitely a big improvement week for Evie in various ways. I feel like Brooke definitely did better from a performative aspect because since she already killed it on the runway, but I feel like Evie... I mean, I didn't uh, dislike Evie's look last week either, but I feel like she she really elevated it in both ways this week, which really shows that it was just a momentary fluke, I think, for her ascendancy to hopefully that top four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I think that she's going to continue to kill it. I mean, the, I guess maybe, yeah, the only critique is that it does feel like a lot of leg for the creature of the Black Lagoon. I don't know, but maybe this is like a monster you want to freak, uh, bringing that back a little bit. Um, but I think it's cool, like, the she does have like elements of detail. Like, I thought that the, the way she did the eyelashes was super cool and the fact that her nails over the gloves are painted <laughs> is mm-hmm. something that's it's just really neat. I, I really liked this. Very weird very evie very oddly <laughs> so let's talk about this lip sync here it ends up being vanjie and plastic cat fight part two as we go into a performance to hood boy by fantasia and i will say i think that this was a vanjie win i would not say that it was by a huge amount i know that this song is not exactly something that plastic would probably typically perform to but she adapted her usual slinkiness, I think, to it, and I think she did an all right job. Any thoughts about the lip sync overall? Yeah, so I mean, I thought I thought probably Plastique was going to go home just based on like what I was reading, but then when the lip sync started, I was like, this is actually pretty close. Like it could go either way. Like I'm going to need more from Vanjie than just the hair spinning. Although I thought that the her, the, her movements really embodied the song. I thought mm. it was a better fit than Plastique's really sexy approach although that was cool too um and it was neat to see plastic like go to the wall like Alyssa edwards taught yes. her it's like oh just like mama taught me like that's so cute um but i yeah i thought it was pretty close coming after last week of course it's really hard to <laughs> to like have a, another amazing lip sync but i thought they both did a, a really good job really like really good really serviceable serviceable job um and i think vanjie probably deserved to win in the end 
Well, that's the thing as well. I think you see a nice microcosm here where the judges were laughing at what Vanji was doing. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's because she was really trying to embody Hood Boy while wearing a full head-to-toe latex red leotard uh, (laughs) that it just made them laugh. But, like, this is what I think the judges have always really enjoyed about Vanji. No matter what, just the way she behaves, she can make you laugh. And I think that definitely, if there was a reason why she edged out Plastique, I think that was a good reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's send off Plastique here a bit. And first, before we give our thoughts, let's hear about what Brent has to say to say adieu to Plastique Tiara in eighth place here on season 11. Finally, uh, the lip sync came and went. It wasn't a great lip sync. I did think that Vanjie won it, but not by much, only because I thought Plastique was really mailing it in. I really just want to say this about Plastique. First of all, I did not expect her to go home this episode, so this was a surprise. I really, really, really feel like this elimination shows that you have to be on all of the time on RuPaul's Drag Race. Plastique Tiara did a fine job. Her runways were almost always amazing. She performed a serviceable job in all of the challenges. But honestly, her presence was so shy and so reserved in just the -the run-of-the-mill, day-to-day, nuts and bolts of Drag Race. And that there was no way she was ever going to be crowned because of that. I mean, if RuPaul has to tell you to come out of your shell, you've already lost the race. And that's what I got to say. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's sort of true, though, right? I mean, RuPaul is picking somebody who is going to represent their, like, his brand. And so I think that, uh, I mean, apart from, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can make the argument that, um, uh, oh my gosh, what am I thinking of? Uh, uh, season nine. Sasha Valor. Sasha Valor. Oh my God. Uh, she's somebody who, like, I have been, I've been happy ultimately was crowned. Uh, but during the season, I think you could say, like, oh, she's, she maybe sort of suffered from the same thing. Um, so I think Plastique's fate was probably sealed a while ago. But I mean, she's just so, she's so pretty. But she's also, like, did a really serviceable job in all the challenges. So yeah. But th- there was nothing that was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, I have to look at her all the time. I mean, there's something interesting where I believe before this season we were talking about how she might be one of those quote-unquote look queens, glamour queens that really could go all the way. And you might argue that Aquaria was one of those, or I think she definitely proved in the performance challenges that she could do more than just turn looks. I mean, Plastique turned so many looks this season during her nine episodes to the point where, like we said before, this might be the worst one. And even then, it was not an outright terrible look. Mm -hmm. I just think she put out so much great stuff and just always gorgeous looks. I mean, it's sort of like what we were talking about with Silky in the very beginning of the episode. She knows how she looks in these outfits and she's going to put it out there on the runway. You know, maybe she tries sometimes to go in a direction of stepping outside her box that doesn't necessarily go all the way. You know, like when she painted her face like the skull and she was surprised she didn't win. I've been a huge fan of Plastique ever since those first couple episodes when not only was she gorgeous, but she did that nails character in the Why Gotta Be Black Panther, and it's like, okay, she can bring some comedy as well. This is fun. I feel like maybe she got in her head a bit when it came to those performative elements, considering that, you know, I think she did pretty well in the Snatch Game here, did not go so well in this LADP challenge. I wonder if it was just her getting flustered in the moment and not having, you know, things to say off the top of your head. I'm not entirely sure. 
I still feel a bit ooky about what the judges and Akira yeah. were doing this episode of like the, oh, you went back into your, your accent. I, I don't think that's the case. And maybe that's just me being naive that it was a purposeful choice. I mean, I know people who have immigrated here from other countries and who, you know, sometimes when they get flustered or they get completely shocked, they just naturally default back into like their natural accents. I do agree with her that I think the manner she speaks on Drag Race is different than the manner she might speak at home. And so I would not blame her if she sort of just defaulted to that manner because everything was falling apart around her. Yeah, so like this is a totally common thing. It's something called code switching. And like the fact that Michelle, I don't know, I got super mad at Michelle for criticizing her for like, oh, we want you to be Asian pride, not Asian stereotypes. Oh, but like it's okay for Manila Luzon to be an Asian stereotype, but it's not mm. like who, uh, but also it's weird to have like a white woman telling Plastique what Plastique can and can't do in terms of her own like ethnicity. It was just yeah. very icky, very awkward. I really didn't know what the show was trying to tell me about this because I just felt uncomfortable and then like that coupled with the uh, silky comment at the beginning just like made me feel a little bit uncomfortable about Plastique's you know exit of the show like I wish she had a better episode to leave on Um, so yeah I I totally agree with that it's just not uh, that's weird it was weird I didn't like it well, especially because of her story as well, which I think has even eclipsed her look sometimes as a, as a thing I'll most remember about her. Just the family situation she came from when she was able to open up to RuPaul about that and the fact that it brings up Ru's idea that she said to Roxy Andrews back in season five of, you know, you, not, you might not be able to pick your blood family, but you can pick your drag family. And I think I really felt plastique here with when she left Untucked, she was saying, you know, the thing that really sucks about leaving is that she felt this was a community that really accepted her for who mm-hmm. she was. Which it's heartbreaking that she doesn't have that back home. Now, that being said, when her boyfriend talked to her and that kerfuffle happened, to his point, I hope that when she came back home and as the show's airing, her family has come around to embracing her lifestyle. I hope that beyond words, because again, I'll say as someone who's about to start his own family, I cannot imagine living in a household where the people you love most in the world do not accept you as who you are at your core. That just sounds horrible. And my heart goes out to her for having to put up with that. For so many years, she's been able to turn that into not only a big presence on Drag Race, but I believe she is the first ever Drag Race queen to reach one million followers on Instagram while her season was airing. So look, it's clear, maybe things weren't catching on with the judges, but she's been catching on social media. I I don't know if that means a a miscongeniality thing or anything, but I give her all the kudos in the world for a solid showing here on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, it's because she like puts out. I follow her. She puts out such good looks. Oh, she's so gorgeous. And yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, she doesn't have the like personality that you want, but she like I, I'm endeared to her, especially yeah. because of her story. You know, maybe she can get adopted by her white dad, Nina. <laughs> maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But I just wish the best for her. Yeah, it's sort of like what we were speaking about before. I think the thing, thing, thing that I appreciate about RuPaul's Drag Race is that it really, as of late, has been bringing in queens of all different personality types. Because I really do think that not all drag queens are loud, brash, and sassy. I think between people like Plastique and Cameron Michaels from last season, like they approach things a very different way. And just like different people approach things different ways. And I, I appreciate that. I think it, it, it very much draws different shades into this drag community. And we'll see the queens in another shade next week. Oh my god. Yeah! Dragra Kadabra. The queens... <laughs> 
are doing magic. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I can't tell you. I'm really excited <laughs> for next week for the magic show. I have absolutely no idea how this is going to go because like, we're, are, are they going to be given like the, you know, the little like props, like help you do magic tricks? Did they know that they were going to have to do a magic show and they like practice magic tricks at home? Like I have no, this could be a complete disaster and it could also be amazing and it will probably be a disaster and I am here for it. I'm so excited about this. I know that this will be a thir- our third quote-unquote performing challenge in a row. This isn't necessarily based in comedy. It is a bit strange. I remember that there is a challenge in uh, Top Chef, the penultimate episode of season 13, where they had to cook but also make it a magic trick. And it was a bit too outside the box from that perspective to the point where it eliminated two front runners. And Antonio Mazzaro is still still seething to this day because he hates magic in particular, even more so based on that <laughs> series of events. But this is going to be ridiculous. I mean, I have to assume that they're going to bring in some sort of like magician mentor to, to coach them through, right? Like, how the hell else are they going to get magic trick ideas from? I have no idea. I have no idea i just like did they get let loose at the magic store does chris angel or david blaine come in and like levitate around for a while teaching them how to do magic i have no concept about how this is going to work out and i'm very much here for it i love that they're still taking risks as we talked about the improv challenge was a big risk to make starting an all-stars three but it became a tried and true thing this is a really interesting concept for a challenge that we have never seen before and that is going to be so exciting. I mean, imagine Vanjie doing a magic show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that is going to look like, but I, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to get frustrated by the judges and this could be a disaster. I imagine rabbits just running around wildly throughout this, the, uh, the studio, maybe the dove here and there. Um, no idea what to expect. I'm totally expecting like, releasing the doves like Asia O'Hara and a bunch of dead doves just fall onto the ground. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Doves are a sensitive subject around here. Um, Yeah. No idea. Well, I agree with you what you said before. I really enjoyed this episode across the board. This season just keeps right on chugging along and we will be reaching double digits next episode, which is crazy to believe we only have about a month or so left of Drag Race season 11. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I when um. I think it was. I don't. I don't remember. It was somewhere it was like, oh, we're at the final seven. I was like, final seven. <laughs> when did we get to the final seven? But apparently, here we are. We shall see the final seven take on magic next week. But in the meantime, if you want to hear more podcast magic brought on by the two of us, Liana, how was the B and B this week? Oh my gosh, the B&B was so much fun. Um, Mike and I got together with Meg Z to talk about this past episode of Survivor. Um, we talked about Survivor superheroes and played um, a game which was an absolute blast, although very difficult for me personally, uh, called Who's Ream Reaming? I think is what it was called. Um, so definitely check, check out the B&B. It was a really great episode this week. Let me read you a nice review that we received while we were recording here. At a Mike Bloom type and at Liana Boris, get me laughing each and every week. If you're a Survivor fan and haven't listened to the B&B, check it out. Less about gameplay, more about ridiculous fun. The War Dog approves. So we got a positive review from the War Dog himself, the exact opposite of a block. And we want to 
Thank you for that war dog. I have no idea if you're listening, but if you happen to, thank you so much. And be sure you guys check it out as well and give us your thoughts. You can also check out the amazing race coverage I've been doing with Rob Cesarnino <laughs> and Jessica Lee's has been an awesome season so far. And I also got to talk with Rupert Bonham and his wife for Parade.com, which was a surreal feeling and a super enjoyable you can follow all of us on social media i am at a mike bloom type liana is at liana boris l-i-a-n-a-b-o-r-a-a-s brent is at one lucky gay brent once again thank you for sending in your thoughts in abstentia brent should be back next week to give all his thoughts about the magic that is sure to happen next week as seven it becomes six or maybe more, depending on if some disappearing acts go on correctly. Thank you all so much for listening. You may sashay away. Bye! At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.